I want to thank you guys. Last week we collected $40,000 for the victims of the storm up in the Northeast, and I want to thank you for your generosity. And I know how you like to be generous, so I want to give you another opportunity. Um, this one, you got a little time to get ready for. This is coming up the weekend of December 15th and 16th. We're going to take our annual Christmas offering every year. We take an offering. It's above our regular giving. We ask people to sacrifice. And this year, our goal is a half million dollars to take, to raise one half million dollars on one weekend. And let me tell you what we're going to raise it for. We're going to raise it so we can bless our ministry partners through the holidays with a special gift uh, to encourage them in what they're doing and making sure that we're doing our part in reaching the triangle and changing the world. Some of it's going to go locally as we're changing lives right here in the triangle. Uh, some of it's going to go to drill wells in the Congo. We're now expanding out of the Central African Republic into the Congo. It was so cool. Somebody walked in last week and dropped off a check and said, I want to drill a well in the Congo. And uh, people are already thinking that way. Uh, some of it's going to go uh, up in Laminadere, one of the uh, orphan villages that we're working in in Uganda. We're going to build some staff housing there. Uh, we're working in Haiti. Uh, we're expanding a new work in the South Sudan. So all of this money is going to be spread out. And I hope that we exceed a half million dollars. But we're going to, that's going to be our goal. And I believe that God is going to do great things. Now let me just say this. I want you to start thinking about what you're going to do. Uh, I want you to start praying about what you're going to do. That's why I'm letting you know this a month early so you can spend some time, you know, just thinking about it a little bit. And the reality is that some of you could just give generously. God has blessed you. Maybe you're getting a year-end bonus. Uh, maybe it's just been a good year for you. And you could write out a check with several zeros. And if we're going to get a half million dollars, we're going to need some people to do something like that. So maybe that's the thing that you pray about. Uh, you know, for all of us, though, I think we should just give something out of our generosity. And then, how about if we sacrifice? What if you went home as a family and said, we're not going to go to any more movies or go out to dinner anymore for the next month till December 15th and 16th? And we're going to take all that money we would have spent on ourselves and we're going to set that aside. That's going to go in the Christmas offering. Or maybe you could postpone a trip that you were going to take. Or, or maybe, maybe you could just say, hey, you know what, as a family, we don't need a bunch of stuff. And we're going to cut back on our Christmas giving this year. And we're going to invest that money in what God is doing in the world through Hope Community Church. I think that would be pretty cool. I mean, wouldn't it be cool to tell your kids, you're going to get one less gift this year and uh, it's going to go to help an orphan in Uganda. And if they whine about that, the Bible says beat them, they will not die. I mean, I'm just, I just throw that out there. I just throw that out there, right? Um, so we can sacrifice, we can be creative. You know, maybe, maybe you go through your kid's closet and they got toys everywhere they never touch anymore. Maybe you have a yard sale. Maybe you bake cookies. But you begin to think about, God, how do you want to use me December 15th and 16th to be a difference maker in the world? So uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what God is going to do. Now, if you're here this weekend and you've been a Christ follower for very long, you know that there are times in our life where God asks us to do things that don't make any sense whatsoever. In fact, sometimes the thing that God asks us to do seems to be the exact opposite of what we think we probably ought to be doing. For example, in the Bible, God tells us to give. He tells us to be generous. He tells us to trust him with our resources. And it's interesting. He doesn't say if you can afford it, give. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, if you have all your debt paid off, give. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, if you have a little bit of money left over at the end of the month, give. He doesn't say that. He just says, regardless of your financial circumstances, I want you to give. I want you to trust me. I want you to honor me with your finances, right? Often we hear that response, and our attitude is like, that is just stupid. I don't even have enough money to make ends meet at the end of the month. What do you mean, Mike, that I'm supposed to give? It is totally illogical. Trust God with my finances doesn't make any sense whatsoever. 
Or maybe you're here this weekend and your marriage is a disaster and all your friends are telling you, cut your losses, get out, cut your losses, get out, cut your losses, get out, cut your losses, get out. But you read the Bible and you discover the Bible says God hates divorce. In fact, instead of getting out, work and stay in, stay in, stay in, stay in. Do everything you can to make it work, stay in. Go to counseling, but stay in. Get some help, stay in. Pray that God will change your heart, but stay in. And you look at your circumstances and you think, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I just don't get that. Or maybe you're divorced and you read what the Bible has to say about morality and you discover that you're not supposed to have sex outside of marriage. Shocker, that's God's plan. And your reaction is, well, that's just stupid. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I mean, I know that's probably good for teenagers. They should probably stay pure. They should probably save themselves for the person that they marry. But I've already been married. I've already been uh, sexually active. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense biologically. It doesn't make any sense socially. It certainly doesn't make any sense physically. I don't get it, God, right? And I could go on and on and on. My point is this. As Christians, there are going to come those critical times in our lives when God is going to ask us to do certain things that just don't make sense. Now, over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be in this new series, and this is what we're going to talk about. How do we respond in those situations? Now, we're going to call the series Risk. It's where fear and faith collide. It's where you have to decide, God, am I going to be obedient or am I going to be disobedient? But I want to begin by saying this. I want you to understand as we get into this series, God is a very reasonable God. Let me just say that again. God is a very reasonable God, and God never asks us to do anything, anything that doesn't make sense. Now, here's the key phrase from his perspective, okay? He never asks us to do anything that doesn't make sense from his perspective. And one of the things we're going to learn in this series is God always has a reason when he asks us to do something. However, sometimes we won't understand the why. We won't understand the reason until we've had the opportunity when we come to that crossroad to decide, am I going to obey or am I going to disobey? This is what this series is all about. Next couple of weeks, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, turn over there. I'll help you find it. It's right after 1 Kings. Okay, so if you find 1 Kings, you're almost home. 2 Kings chapter 5. And while you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background. The story that we're looking at is a story that took place in Israel. This is before the Bible was written. So it's a time in Israel's history where God spoke mainly through men who were known as prophets. The particular prophet in this story is the prophet Elisha, not Elijah, two different guys. This is Elisha. He's the prophet, but he's not the main character. If you read in 2 Kings chapter 5, you discover the main character of the story. His name is Naaman, and, and he's not a Jew, and he's not from Israel. He's from Aram, also known as Syria. In fact, uh, he is, just so you know, Aram, it's like the hated enemy of Israel. They would go down on a regular basis and steal their young people to be their slaves. They would go down there and raid their homes and get their gold and silver. They'd go down on a regular basis and just put a big beat down right on Israel, right? Naaman, verse 1 tells us, was the commander of the Aram army that's going down on a regular basis and looting and stealing the kids and putting a beat down on Israel. He's like the king's right-hand man, and you think life must have been good. Well, life was far from good for Naaman because the very last part of verse 1 tells us that he also had leprosy. And understand, in Old Testament times, that was a death sentence. If you got out of the shower one morning and you noticed that spot and it was determined that it was leprosy, you were a dead man walking. It was no cure whatsoever. And it's interesting, out of the blue as you're reading this story, and it's often that's the way God works, 
There's this little servant girl that comes across Naaman's path. Verse 2, now bands from Aram had gone and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. So in one of these, one of these raids, they took this little girl back to Aram to be a servant. She happens to be, happens to be Naaman's wife's maid. Verse 3, she said to her mistress, Naaman's wife, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure Naaman of his leprosy. And you'd better believe that when Naaman's wife heard that little tidbit of information, she went directly to her husband. She says, Naaman, I have got the most incredible news. My maid, remember you stole her from Israel? My maid told me there's a guy down in Israel, and if you get down there, he can probably cure you. We don't know him. She knows him. You got to get down to Israel. So you get to verse 4, and, 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 and uh, Naaman goes to the king of Aram, and he said, hey, this is odd, I know, because usually when we go down to Israel, we go down to do a beatdown on them, but I need to go down there because evidently there's a guy down there who can heal my leprosy. And you'll notice the king responds in verse 5, by all means go, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver. In today's economy, that's about a half million dollars worth of silver. 6,000 shekels of gold, that's about $4 million, and 10 sets of clothing. So he gets all excited, the king's going to write a letter, he runs to Bank of America, you know, he withdraws a bunch of silver, withdraws a bunch of gold, up to Crabtree Valley, into the gap, he buys some suits, some sweaters, some shirts, some fancy scarves, right? Packs it all in the back of a U-Haul, and he heads off for Israel, verse 6. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter I am sending my servant Naaman so that you may cure him of his leprosy. But when you get to verse 7, it's interesting. When the king of Israel gets this letter, he just begins to freak out. It says he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow, referring to the king of Aram, why does this king send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? Nobody can cure leprosy. There is no cure for leprosy. So he just concludes he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. He just wants to have another fight. So this is what the king of Israel is going to, he's thinking. Naaman's going to make his way. He's going to come all the way down here to get cured. We're not going to be able to cure him. He's going to go back to the king of Aram. The king's going to say, it's so, so good to see you. How did it go? Are you cured? And about that time, Nathan's arm's going to fall off, and Naaman's arm's going to fall off, thud on the floor. And, and the king's going to be so ticked off, he's going to be thinking, that's all the excuse. I need to go back down to Israel and give him a beatdown. So the king of Israel is thinking, this is a setup. This is a setup. I can't cure leprosy. He just wants a reason to come down here and attack us. Verse 8. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know, he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. I mean, Elisha's like, I'll show him a thing or two, right? Verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Now remember, he's got leprosy. And there were some pretty clear guidelines in the Old Testament if you had leprosy. One, you had to keep a certain distance between you and anybody else. Second, you, at all times when you could, you, you had to stay downwind from anybody else. On top of that, if someone was approaching you and they didn't know that you had leprosy, say you're walking down a road and a stranger's coming the other way, how humiliating is this? You had to yell out, unclean, 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 and that told whoever was walking towards you, make sure you keep a wide berth, that guy's got leprosy. So understand, when Naaman gets down to Israel, he can't just go up to Elisha's house, knock on the door, shake his hand and say, good to meet you. He can't even go near the house. So he's standing at a distance. And he waits, and he waits, and he waits, nothing. And maybe he picks up a rock and tries to hit the door, nothing. 
I mean, this is the moment of truth, right? Finally, he, he notices some movement. And maybe the curtains go, right? And the door opens. And some little guy comes waddling out and says, I have a message for you from Elisha. Verse 10, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. And he waddles back into the house and shuts the door. Now picture this scene. Here we have Naaman. He's got all this gold, he's got all this silver, he's got all these clothes. I mean, he's going to pay for his way, he's going to pay for his healing. And he is standing there outside of Elisha's house thinking, are you kidding me? What? What just happened? Are there cameras somewhere? I mean, am I being punked? Here I'm standing here, some guy comes out, tells me, go dip seven times in the Jordan River, runs back in the house, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Listen, I don't need a bath. My problem isn't my hygiene. My problem is that I am dying of leprosy. I need a miracle. I need a cure. Now understand, this is where the story begins to impact our lives. This is where it begins to intersect because here was Naaman's problem. Naaman's thinking, I don't see the connection. I don't see the connection. I know what my needs are. I know what my problem is. I heard your solution. Thank you very much. I don't see the connection. I mean, what possible relationship can me dying of, uh, of leprosy and dipping seven times in the Jordan River, what could possible be the relationship there? And I think in the same way, there are times when we, are, when, we, when we are following Jesus Christ. And God will come along and he will ask us to do something that doesn't make sense. And we have the same problem. God will say, I want you to do this. And, and this is often our response. God, I hear you. I hear you loud and clear. I just don't get it, God. I don't see the connection. Now, now, God, if you'll explain it to me, I'll obey you because after all, I am a pretty reasonable person and I always want to do my best to obey you. But God, I got to tell you, when out of the blue, you just up and tell me that you want me to change jobs. You want me to move across the country. You want me to change schools. You want me to change majors. You want me to change careers. You want me to stop dating this person that I've been dating for months. Or God, you ask me to do something that just doesn't make any sense. Or God, you come along and you ask me to do something that just doesn't fit with our culture anymore. God, please help me see the connection. Now understand, that's where Naaman is in this story. And I think Naaman all of a sudden is faced with the same dilemma that many of us are faced with this weekend. Will we trust God? This is the big question. Will we trust God when he chooses to withhold from us what we consider to be pertinent information will we trust God and God asks us to do something it makes no sense whatsoever will we trust God when he says just do what I ask I have a reason and in due time you'll get it in due time it'll make sense in due time you'll understand but before I'm going to allow you to understand why I'm asking you to do this the first move is yours the ball's in your court and when we find ourselves in, in that situation, that type of situation, I mean, let's be honest, it, it's not just difficult. If you've ever been there, it can be terrifying. But this is what you've got to understand. That kind of faith, that kind of trust, that kind of, from our perspective, risk, that is the essence of the Christian life. Because our relationship with God is based on what any good relationship is based on. It's based on 
trust. It's based on God, even though I don't understand why you're asking me to do what you've asked me to do. I trust you, God. I trust that when it's all said and done, you have my best interest in mind. And right now I can just feel the wheels turning because that's where some of you are this weekend. Maybe God has made it clear that there's a change he wants you to make in your personal life. Maybe, maybe your relationship. Maybe your career. I mean, maybe you work in an industry that is just driven by principles and driven by standards that are totally opposite of God's principles. Maybe it is just a greed-driven industry. Maybe it involves deceit every day. Maybe it, maybe it, it is something where every day you have, to, you, have to, you have to kind of decide whether or not you're going to compromise your integrity. And, and yeah, that's, that's the job you were in when you became a follower of Jesus Christ. But now that you've been a follower for a while, you've started thinking when you go to work, this doesn't seem right. This can't be what God wants me to do with my life. I mean, there's just no way I can come to this job every day and live a godly life, apply God's standards, apply God's principles to this career. But at the same time, you got this other thought going, if I quit, if I walk out, that doesn't seem very smart. I don't see how that's going to work out in my favor. After all, this is really the only talent I have. It's the only job skill I have. What else am I going to do, you know? And you know, let's face it, 8% unemployment, it's not easy to get a job out there. And we keep hearing that as a country, we're facing a, a shaky financial future. In fact, there's even, there's even a financial cliff out there. I don't know what that means, but I heard it on the news. It sounds scary. I'm going, I think, I'm thinking, I'm going to avoid that. Right? So you got all this going on, and you think, this job can't be right, but quitting, that doesn't make sense. That, that doesn't seem smart. But you got to understand, the real issue isn't how smart is God. That's not the issue. Here's the real issue. Can I trust God? By the way, let me just tell you, one of the reasons that God sometimes withholds, he'll ask us to do something, and he'll withhold from us what we consider to be pertinent information, sometimes God does that because he has to remind us that Christianity is about a relationship. We have a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. It's about a relationship. It's not about a routine. I mean, let's face it, even as Christians, we love routines, don't we? Don't we love those things in the Bible where it says, if you will do this, this will be the result. We love those things. That's secure. We know what we're getting, right? But because of that, we can all of a sudden substitute a relationship with God for just going through the routines. And when that happens, every once in a while, God just has to rock our world to get our attention. And when he has to rock our world to get our attention, this is what he wants to know. Not in this routine, but in this relationship that we have. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me? Because this is what I'm asking you to do. And if you'll just step out, if you'll just trust me, if you'll just step out, if you'll just make that first move, you're going to get it. You're going to have one of those aha moments. But first of all, first of all, you're going to have to trust me. Some of you are living in that tension right now. God has been speaking to your spirit. He's been asking you to do something. He's been laying something on your heart, but he won't give you any details. He won't open up a window into the future. He's just saying, do it. And you're going, but why, but why, but why? And God's saying, because I God and I said so, that's why, that's why. By the way, we want that to work as parents, don't we? 
You get your whiny little kids, Matt, why? But why? Why do I have to eat broccoli? Because I'm your parent, and I said so. That's why. But it's interesting. When God tries that, we're like, well, I don't know, God. I mean, uh, yeah, I know you're the creator of the universe and all and all powerful, but I'm going to need a little bit more than that. You're going to have to help me here a little bit, right? Naaman is standing right on the edge of something that can change his life. You would think he would be giddy with excitement. Uh-uh. Verse 11 tells us he's angry. Look at what he says. I thought, I thought it would go down this way. I thought this is the way it would play out. You ever, ever had that? Ever got married? <laughs> well, I thought, you know, have children? Well, I thought I would love them. They would respect me, do what I told them. You know, I thought. Naaman says, I thought he would at least come out here himself. I thought he would at least stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. I thought he would at least wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. In other words, I thought he'd come out, do a little hocus pocus, a little abracadabra. I'd pay him off. I'd be on my way, happy, healthy, moving forward with the rest of my life. This isn't what I thought. This doesn't make any sense. Dipped seven times in the Jordan River. He's so offended. Verse 12 says he turned and he went off in a rage. So he's heading back to Aram. And as he's storming off back to Aram, he's got a servant running beside the chariot thinking, man, I need to say something. I need to say something. So finally he says, Mr. Naaman. Put me back in my place if I'm wrong, but let me ask you a question. Verse 13. If the prophet had told you to do something or do some great thing, would you have done it? Yeah. I mean, name it, think about this. If he would have asked you to go out there and slay the seven-headed dragon of Endor, would you have done it? I'd have slayed the seven-headed dragon of a Fuquay. I mean, I'd have beat that thing like a red-headed stepchild. Sure, I'd have done that. Well, let me ask you this, Naaman. If he would have asked you to climb Mount Everest, would you have done it? I'd have done it naked and barefooted if that's what it took to be cleansed. Verse 13. How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? Naaman, think about this. What do you have to lose? Look, the Jordan River's right there. It's going to take you 30 seconds. We got all dry new clothes in the trailer. We never got rid of them. Go dip seven times. Let's just see what happens. Verse 14, so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, look at this, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Can you imagine? Wow. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. They went back to Elisha's house. He stood before him. He can do that now. He's clean. He's clear. He stood before him and said, awesome, awesome. I'm cleansed of leprosy. No, he didn't say that. This is so cool. Life's going to be right back on track. No, it doesn't say that. He says, verse 15, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. See, you understand what's going on here? When Naaman's fear collided with the power of God, he walked away thinking this, wow, wow, there really is a God. You see, the tragedy of disobedience when God is asking you to do something, even when it doesn't make sense, the tragedy of disobedience isn't just the consequences of disobedience. The tragedy of disobeying God, especially when it doesn't make sense, is that you miss God. 
You miss God. I mean, just read the Bible. All through the Bible, we see that God reveals himself in those critical moments when we choose to obey him and it costs us something. He reveals himself in those critical moments when we obey and it doesn't make sense. It's when we step out on faith when it absolutely defies logic. And let me tell you something. When God shows up at those moments, God is more real in our lives than any other time. And we don't emerge from those moments and say, did you, did you see how great my faith was? Mm-mm. We don't emerge saying, do you see, did you see how obedient I was? Uh-uh. We emerge from those situations saying, there really is a God. And you would not believe what he just did. Now, now this is what we're going to learn in this series. That is God's way. And I don't always like it, to be honest. And if it were up to me, I would probably change it. But it's not up to me. This is God's way. God reveals himself in the greatest ways when our faith and fear collide. It's when our life intersects with his power. And if you're here this morning and and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I can promise promise you there is an encounter with God out there in your future with your name on it. And when you come to that crossroad and God asks you to do something and it doesn't make sense, you're going to have to roll the dice. You're going to have to make a decision. See, this is the big gamble. This is the big risk. Am I going to trust God and obey him? Or am I going to trust in myself and disobey him? And you've got to understand, the tragedy of choosing to disobey God, you, you don't know what hangs in the balance. You don't know what hangs in the balance. You don't know what God has on the other side of curtain number one if you decide to trust him. You don't know what God could do in your life if you just stepped out and obeyed him. And this is the tragedy. This is maybe one of the most heartbreaking things of, of pastoring a church full of Christians. Some of you are going to live your entire life and you will never know what God could have done and would have done in your life if you would have chosen to trust him. I talked to a young lady after the first service last night and she said, Pastor Mike, that's my story. And I said, well, what do you mean that's your story? She says, I was engaged to get married and she became a Christian and he didn't. And she heard me talk about you shouldn't be unequally yoked together and the, the consequences and why God has our best interest in mind. And she said, as hard it was, as it was, I broke the engagement. He went his own way. Through a series of events, he became a follower of Jesus Christ. They got married, and now they attend here every weekend together. You see, she said, I may not have ever experienced that if I hadn't trusted God and just obeyed. I get a little nostalgic this time of year. It was 19 years ago this month that Laura and I were packing up. In fact, it was the Friday after Thanksgiving that we, we left her family's home in Southern California and began our journey back to North Carolina to start Hope Community Church. And it was, you know, those were, the, those were crazy days. And at that time, it, that was our world. I mean, God had blessed us with a church that took great financial care of us, beautiful house, pool in the backyard, kids in private school, Laura being able just to teach music, kind of on something on the side, not really needing it. We just had this great little family dynamic and life going on. 
And God just kind of blew it apart by saying, I, I want you to move to North Carolina and start a church and start from scratch. I just want you to do it. That's all. He didn't say, if you do it, one day it's going to be an awful church that's going to re- Awesome, awful church. <laughs> yeah. That's the last service. That's the crowd, the last service. He didn't say it was, it's going to be an awesome church that's going to reach the triangle and change the world. He didn't say that. He didn't say one day they, they, it may even be big enough to pay your salary. He didn't say that. He just said, I, I want you to go do this. This is what I want you to do. So we moved back here and we moved into our little two-bedroom apartment. And I went out and tried to find some, some spare jobs and ended up building scaffolding for a company and doing some construction work when I wasn't trying to get the church going. And Laura had to go find a real job in the RTP so we could have health care. And we dropped our boys into the public school right in the middle of the school year. They'd never been in a public school in their life. They'd always been in a Christian school. And I look back now, and this is what I think. What if we just disobeyed? What if we just said, no, God, things are really comfortable here. I think we'll just stay. I would have missed all this. I would have missed this life because I tried to trust my own judgment and my own logic more than I trusted God. You see, that's why... That's why this kind of obedience is so exciting. It's a positive obedience. You know, I grew up like, you better obey. You know, God will knock you out. You know, my, my vision of God growing up was you step out of line. I mean, I, I pictured God behind me with a robe and a club hanging from his belt, just waiting for me to, I will knock you in the middle of next week, right? And I'm not going to lie to you. There are some times as children of God, God has to discipline us, scriptural. But this is a message that says being obedient actually releases the power of God in our lives. Let's look at the other side of the story. Yeah, disobedience sometimes comes with consequences, but being obedient actually releases the power of God in our lives. In other words, when we decide to obey God, even when it doesn't make any sense, and we take our hands off the wheel, I'm telling you, we are in for a Carrie Underwood moment. I mean, it it really is. Jesus... Take the will, please, because here's the reality. If he doesn't show up, if he doesn't intervene, if he doesn't grab the will and start taking us where he wants us, we, we're going to crash and burn. But when he's asked you to do it, he's going to show up. And he's going to intervene. And when he intervenes, we don't walk away excited about what happened. We walk away thinking, wow, there really is a God, and he knows that I'm alive and he cares for me, and he is intimately involved in my life. And all of a sudden, (laughs) this relationship thing with God that's kind of theory, it goes to a whole new level, and it explodes in reality. And I think it's because there's a special connection to God that we only experience when we're obedient to him and it doesn't make sense and we just have to trust him. Now, some of you right now, you're on the doorstep of that kind of experience, just like Naaman, right? But if you're gonna experience, you're gonna have to step out on faith. You're gonna have to take the big gamble. You're gonna have to take the risk. And you're gonna have to obey God without any more explanation as to why he wants you to do what he wants you to do. For some of you, it's just, Finally making that decision to follow Jesus Christ. You've been hanging around. You've listened and read and studied. And you know what you need to do. 
but you just haven't gotten to the point where you, you, you trust him. Like, what if, what if I do follow Jesus? What's that going to look like? How's that going to impact? Jesus, what he said, I've come that you might have life and you might have it to the full, abundant. That's all I'm going to tell you. The ball's in your court. For some of you, it has to do with a relationship like the girl I talked to last night. You know you shouldn't be in. This is what you want to know. Okay, if I kick this guy to the curb, what's the next one going to be like? And how long is it going to be? And what's he going to look like? And is he going to make a lot of money? And God's saying, you know what? You, you've gotten all you're going to get. It just comes down to are you going to trust and be obedient? For some of you, it's stepping out and doing something that you know God is calling you to do. I mean, you know it. You know he's, just, he's, he's been kind of bugging you. Your spirit's been restless, you know? Maybe for some of you, it is giving. You're like, I, I, that makes no sense to me. I'm barely making it. Yet, if I trust God with my resources, God's going to come alongside me and partner with me in my finances. Really? Really? Some of you are going to be stressed out financially your whole life. You know why? Because you never took the step to say, I'm going to trust God because he's omnipotent. And because he's omniscient, and he knows more about finances than I do. So, yeah, the way I'm doing it's not working out all that great. So I'm going to trust God. I'm going to see what he can do with it. Some of you, when I talked about the Christmas offering, you got a little excited there for a second. And then you stopped and said, whoa, 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 wait a second. Yeah, I could do that. But, hmm, what, God, if you could just let me know what the market's going to look like over the next year. And am I going to get my bonus the next year? And uh, am I going to be able to keep my job? And I'm going to get a raise? And how are sales going to be? God's like, nah, nah, I've given you all the information you're going to get. You're just going to have to trust me on this one. And I think this is what God says. If you, if you trust me, you'll get it. If you trust me, you're going to look back and you're going to breathe a sigh of relief. But if you don't trust me, one, you're going to miss me. And two, you're going to miss out on what I had for you. So here we are. Here's the tension, your fear your faith are colliding. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Let's bow together. You know, I don't know what God is saying to you, but I guarantee he's saying something. Some area of your life where you're maybe just disobeying God because you, you don't see logically why doing it God's way makes any sense. And Maybe there's another area where God's, God's challenging you to step out and do something so significant for him. It may be God says, I want you to walk away from this great career you have, and I want you to get involved in missions. I want you to get involved in ministry. Don't ask questions. I got a reason. You'll get it in due time. Or maybe you're here in your relationship, and you're like, I just can't imagine life without this person. But you know, you project it five, ten years down the road. You know that the relationship probably isn't going to go where you want it to go. And now the question is, do I trust God enough to think that he has a better life for me than I think I have for myself? And we all come to that moment where we either keep our hands white-knuckled on the steering wheel of our life or we, we release it and we hop in the back seat and we say, okay, God, you take it from here. And I'm telling you when you do that, and I'm telling you from experience, he will take you on a journey that will take your breath away. And you'll look back one day, and this is what you'll say. Wow, <laughs> that wasn't a sacrifice at all. At the time, it seemed like the biggest deal in the world. 
best decision I ever made in my life because God always knows better than you. Always. Father, give us the courage to release the will of our life, to hop in the back seat, and to let you drive and take us on adventures with incredible scenery that we would have never experienced otherwise. In your name we pray. Amen.